Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to DraftKings Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo and Golik. Mike Golik Jr., Mike Golik Sr., and Jesse Cofield hanging out with us in the DraftKings studio in Boston. We got a great show for you guys. As always, uh, try and download, subscribe, rate, review. Don't try, do. That's a bad word. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, if you can, here live on the DraftKings Network, thedraftkingsnetwork.com, the YouTube channel, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku. Plenty of great streaming spots here. We have got Conference Championship Weekend in the NFL. We'll give you a full break breakdown and preview of everything coming up this weekend we've got a couple of great guests justice hill running back for the baltimore ravens who are getting ready to play in the afc championship this weekend and steve smith senior former wide receiver for the ravens and obviously for the carolina panthers analyst over at the nfl network gonna stop by and help get us ready as well but uh dad uh, before we get to all the football we're pumped that should be two awesome games this weekend the (laughs) final four teams left you've called a bunch of their games recently we've all seen it it's really going to be high level football it feels hard to start anywhere other than the coaching carousel that we got turning right now we mentioned yesterday the game of musical chairs is starting to get down to the wire and it got even more full yesterday as we had a couple of big announcements when we got done with the show uh dave canales the offensive coordinator for the tampa bay buccaneers was hired by the carolina panthers and raheem morris Get called up for the Atlanta Falcons job here. He's now former defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. And I got to be honest, Dad, I cannot remember very many times looking at the public reaction to a hire like this and seeing so many people genuinely happy for one person's success and opportunity here. Raheem Morris seems pretty universally well-liked by his peers in coaching and certainly by his players. Most notably, I saw Jalen Ramsey, who obviously played corner and was coached by him during his time with the Los Angeles Rams, saying the Falcons got one of the best, if not the best coach in the NFL with this hire. So what did you make of this, especially after the long dance with Bill Belichick that we saw this team do? Well, I, I don't know Raheem as as a coach from a player standpoint, but I do know him from doing games and being out and talking to him more than a few times and just what a nice guy he is and so well-respected by everybody. But we know that there, there's one thing to that, and then there's obviously the coaching side, which we'll get into really quick overall. There's only two slots left now. 
That yeah. would be Washington and Seattle. And there are those that think Washington is waiting for Ben Johnson, the OC from Detroit. And it's Seattle looking at Dan Quinn. They have, they have been secretive. I don't know if it's the right word, but we haven't heard a lot of interviews of what they've done while Atlanta was swiping right on the coaching dating app all over the place. I mean, 14 interviews, I think four or five second interviews. So they're out there saying, hey, we're openly dating with anybody right now. And and they finally uh, uh, stopped on Raheem Morris. So we can get into what does this mean for a Bill Belichick and even a, a Mike Vrabel, uh, who may be both left out of the coaching cycle this time around. But I'm a big fan of Raheem Morris. He did get a shot uh, as a head coach in Tampa Bay uh, uh, during his his stint of going. That was back in, uh, I think, 9 through 11. Uh, he was in Tampa Bay a couple of times. And then he was in uh, the last place before the Rams. He was in Atlanta, where he was actually the interim head coach during his years there. Before he went to the Rams as a DC uh, and got to be the DC for Aaron Donald, which had to be a fun thing to do. Uh, so you know he's made the rounds like most coaches. I, I always say to people, Google a coach and and look at their their trip history. It's a guy who went to Hofstra, and he started out as a GA in Hofstra, and then Cornell, and then Tampa Bay, and then Kansas State, and then Tampa Bay, and then Washington, and then Atlanta, and then the Rams. I mean, the road is long, and coaches know that, and this guy has been down the road, been a head coach a couple of times, and now settling back in Atlanta. He's had two stints in Tampa Bay. Now this will be his second stint in Atlanta with, uh, with a little more coaching experience under his belt. Poor Atlanta, by the way. I mean, you just kind of look silly because of how this went down, I mean, considering you had him yeah. in the building as the interim head coach, and then you hire Arthur Smith, and it goes this way, and now you come crawling back to the guy that you had in there before yeah. and say, hey, yeah. hey, big head. <laughs> Saw what you're doing out there on the West Coast, taking care of yourself, drinking water, taking hot girl walks. You seem like you're doing <laughs> great right now. The Tampa Bay Bu or the Atlanta Falcons are basically the future meme. They're like the toxic ex that just fired off a text message after they saw you on TV over holiday break. And now they got it, though. And, and Dad, I, I do think his coaching history is interesting to bring up because you mentioned when he got that Tampa Bay job as a head coach, it was 2009. So he was probably, I think he's 47 now. So he was somewhere around 33. It was right around my age when he got that. And I think so often right now, because we're in this day and age where we've seen so many young head coaches get jobs. And we've seen, especially that Shanahan McVay tree of guys come in and be so ready for this job and make us think that that's something normal when it's really not. And to get a head coaching chance that early and that young, I'm so curious to watch what he does with the opportunity now because again he seems like one someone who has lauded for his coaching ability but also you know his ability clearly to relate to people based on how everyone yeah. looks at him yeah. and you just always wonder what someone's learned in that amount of time the other people he's coached with and under now being under Sean McVay for the last couple seasons hearing the way people talk about Sean's leadership the way he organizes that team and it's exciting to think that Raheem Morris got that opportunity when he was so young. Maybe it, it wasn't quite ready at that point, but now you get that shot again, which you know we've talked about especially, I think, in this hiring cycle. You now have three black head coaches that have been hired in Antonio Pierce, Gerard Mayo, uh, and now here with Raheem Morris. And we do talk about it sometimes, the retread coaching hires, it rarely feels like those second chances are afforded to black head coaches in the same way it is to their white counterparts. And so for Raheem Morris to now have another chance here to go out and put the things he's learned on wax is pretty exciting. Yeah, it, it is. And also, you know, you talk the, the split about African-American coaches, but also offense to defense. 
You yeah. know, you look at this and you say Tennessee, Brian Callahan, who, by the way, says he's going to call the plays uh, out there as the head coach, offensive guy, Harbaugh, the Chargers offensive guy, and Dave Canales over at Carolina, an offensive guy. And then the guys you mentioned, Antonio Pierce, Gerard Mayo, and now Raheem Morris, all defensive guys. So always, it's always because the quarterback's the most important position. When you hire an offensive sure. guy, you think, okay, that guy's either calling the plays or really going to oversee the offense and help out, you know, the uh, the quarterback, especially in a, in a situation like a Canales helping out a young quarterback and Bryce Young. But with these defensive coaches, it's always then really interesting and important who you see them bring in as an offensive coordinator because you look at those situations. In Vegas, do they really have a quarterback? Aiden O'Connell isn't their quarterback, right? So, you know, what, what's going to go on there? New England, they need a quarterback. And in Atlanta, while they had two guys starting last Last year, we don't think either one is a quarterback of the future there. So they're defensive coaches who need to get offensive coordinators that are going to probably be working with new quarterbacks. Yep, it sounds like uh, they said Raheem Morris is going to you know post this and go through the process. But uh, Zach Robinson, who's been the quarterbacks coach out in Los Angeles with the Rams under Sean McVay, uh, former quarterback himself, and, and you know an awesome guy, someone I actually got to know over the years, who's been slowly climbing the ranks and seems like he might be part of that next group branching off from the Shanahan McVay tree. It sounds like he's got a pretty decent shot to be the offensive coordinator there for them. And Dad, for you know for Raheem Morris, remember during his time in Atlanta. He was the assistant head coach and passing game coordinator. He coached wide right. receivers for the Falcons for a few years. He saw, all right, the criticism is you need some offensive background and familiarity. So for a coach that's familiar with a lot of the parts, I think he's now in a position to take best advantage of this. And you walk into that Atlanta team with a defensive roster that made massive improvements last year yeah. was the strength yeah. of that football team and an offensive roster that, yes, doesn't have a quarterback, but has a pretty good off block, uh, run blocking offensive line and first round draft picks and top 10 draft picks are pretty much every skill spot that you can start to make use of there. So he walks into a situation that's interesting and seemed to have a lot of people rooting for him there the other one we mentioned from yesterday dad that happened right before we got on air and then we could talk about uh, the Belichick and Vrabel of all this was Dave Canales the offensive coordinator for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who had come over here spent one year with them as the play caller after being the quarterback's coach and being in that Seattle Seahawks organization for a number of years he gets tabbed for this job dad and this one seems pretty easy to draw the through lines to right yeah worked with Dan yeah. Morgan at Seattle who's now the GM of the Carolina Panthers and I'm sure they're looking back at his resume going all right so you were there for russell wilson's best season in seattle as the passing game coordinator. he was the, right exactly yeah yeah as the passing game coordinator you were the quarterbacks coach for the resurgent geno smith comeback player of the year season in 2022 and helped get the best out of him and then my oh my baker mayfield who we had in our building not but a year ago you were able to get one of the best seasons out of him here in tampa bay in short order and this time actually as the offensive play caller we also have an undersized quarterback who had a little bit of a tough year that we would like to see go better and so they said all right now kiss and get over here well, I mean, this is the right idea, right? I mean, this is what you do. Forget even sports. Look to any job, right? What is what is the job? What what is the job description? And then, you know, you try and find the right person for that job that fits the description. So the most important position in the NFL is a quarterback position. You got a first pick in Bryce Young who struggled his first year, like a lot of rookie quarterbacks do. 
and now you're in search of a head coach to run the team. So what did you do? You looked at the job description, you looked at who was out there, and you said, huh, this guy has had a lot of success with quarterbacks. Maybe we'll bring him in here because we need uh, somebody to bring along our young quarterback. So it seems like a perfect fit. The one thing we'll say, you know, because people, we're going to get in a week or so, Grades for the court, grades for the new head coaches, which I think is yeah. the dumbest thing known to mankind. How the hell do we know what they're going to do as a coach? Even you know, any especially a coordinator who's never been a head coach. How do we? We don't know. I have no idea how these first-time head coaches are going to do. We don't know how they're going to react when they're sitting in the big chair and every question comes at them, and they're now the CEO and not just on one side of the ball. We have no idea. But this is one of the best mesh fits when you look at what a company needs and the person they're going for and the job description of it, of what Canales has done with quarterbacks and what Carolina needs done with their quarterbacks. So this is one of the great fits. Now we'll see how it works out. Yeah, on paper, it meets a lot of those requirements. You're right. And as far as the grades, you know, you hope it's based on what people know about the person already, what they've heard about them from inside these organizations. It's like trying to prognosticate draft picks. We're all going to do our best based on fit and what we know right. going in, but understand that there's a million circumstances that might make that pretty difficult. And so that leads us to the one final bit of coaching news that we had. Jesse Vic Fangio made his decision yesterday also about during the body of our show, heading back home, like he said, was a priority for him. Yeah, going to be the Eagles' next defensive coordinator. So apparently he traveled to Philly uh, yesterday morning to sign his contract, make it official. He was a consultant for the Eagles last season, you guys. He agreed to join the Dolphins right before it was clear that Jonathan Gannon was going to depart the organization and become the Cardinals' head coach. Philly ended up bringing in Sean DeSantis as defensive coordinator Matt Patricia as senior defensive assistant we know how that all ended out um, like you said Fangio apparently wanted to move closer to home and here we go this is about as close as it can get it's like a Hallmark movie. It's all right. Well, there yeah. were you know the Eagles were out here dating the guy in the big city when all you know Vic Fangio was out here dating the girl in Miami, and all along it was really the girl he had known forever in his hometown that he saw when he went back for Christmas this year, and she changed her hair, maybe taken off her glasses very dramatically in one scene, and now he realized they were in love. And so look at that. A lot of people writing the wrongs of prior years, where hey, we missed each other. We were ships in the night last time around. Raheem, Raheem Morris in Atlanta, Vic Fangio in Philadelphia. Everybody coming together together to sing kumbaya i love vic uh I, I i remember i did one game uh one miami game and i you know have all the information about all the coordinators and the the court the obviously who calls the plays and all that in in miami and then whoever they were playing i had the coordinators ages down vic fangio had coached not age-wise had coached for more years than all the other coordinators or other head coach oh. were old. And because oh. he had coached in the NFL, coached for 44 years, and he was that was oh more God. years than these guys were old. This guy, listen, again, players love him as, as a he is one of those. He was better as a coordinator, tried to be the head coach out in out in, in Denver. Um, you know, that, that's, that's the way it goes with some. When, uh, what the, probably the best D coordinator I ever had, I've talked about this before, the late great Bud Carson, who was the, the architect of so many great defenses through the decades in the NFL, got to be a head coach at one point in Cleveland. It didn't work for him. He even told me when we were together in Philly, he said, I just, not a head coach. You know, but you, you try it when you get the opportunity, and, sure. and it just didn't work. You're better as a coordinator. So what, what does Philly do here? I mean, Philly... 
it probably starts at the linebacker position for him on defense. I mean, they yeah. basically let linebackers go last year. This is an interesting, you know, every now and then I throw, I, I, I'll use a stat, but this is pretty interesting. The amount of money they spent on their off-ball linebackers this past year was 62% less than the league average. They just basically yeah. punted on the linebacker position, letting, you know, Kazir White and TJ Edwards go. Uh, and and obviously they had injuries that hurt them as well. So that's one of the ways that they're going to be able to help. Now they're getting to Kobe Dean back, who only played five games. Vic Fangio has a defense that's kind of a we don't give up a big play defense. Uh, and then he, you know he's going to need the young guys on that D line to really step up. If Fletcher Cox is going to be gone, you got two really big D tackles in Davis and in Carter who need who started out really well, but then kind of faded toward the end of the year. So uh, you know they're going to have to be ready for those seventeen games. Yeah, you got to fix your linebacker room and you, your secondary. You let some key guys go. You got old, yep. especially at corner a little bit. And linebacker, you're right. They just punted. And I heard Mina Kimes talk about this the other day, and I think we'll probably see this reflected going forward, is middle linebackers becoming a position that's incredibly valuable and yes. important again in the NFL, the way so many of these offenses off the Shanahan and McVay coaching trees are targeting that area. So you're right. The Eagles said, oh, we can do without this. And everyone immediately went to targeting the middle of the field against them and passed go and collected $200 over and over again. So Vic comes in with a lot of pedigree. He's familiar with the parts there, like you said, because of all the uh, proximity last year. So it'll be interesting to watch how they address that because I agree it's more of a personnel issue on defense right now. But Vic comes in and gives you a fair amount of, you know, schematic know-how as well in here that helped with some things albeit not reflected statistically very much right in Miami but dad all this does leave us with the fact that we're looking at Bill Belichick and Mike Vrabel right now two of what most people looked at as the better coaches Bill the best of all time but Mike Vrabel someone lauded for leadership at Tennessee and looking at them as the potential odd men out of this coaching cycle are you stunned that we're seeing two veteran names like this somehow left out well, Bill Belichick, I mean, the only team we heard him with was the Falcons. And then again, the Falcons were dating everybody. It was like the old movie where you walk in and to do an audition and there's 50 people sitting in the room with their resume and their picture, you know, and you just take a seat, you know, wait till your number's called. Um, so that just seemed like the longer it went, Mike, that you felt it wasn't going to go Bill Belichick's way. Because that was one of those where you talk with Bill and you're like, you know what, we got to hire this guy. Uh, but but they dated everybody in the world. So the longer that went, it seemed like an initial thought was, yeah, Bill. And then the longer it went, it was like, yeah, well, maybe not Bill. Maybe, you know, that was a knee jerk that, yeah, it's got to be Bill. And we moved away from that. And that's really the only team we've heard that or we believe he's interviewed with. So, you know, that 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 puts him on the sideline for at least a year. Uh, and does he come back next year? And does it change next year? I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I do, we've never been in this position where you call someone the goat of coaching and they don't get a job when eight jobs are available. They do not get a job. So probably a little more surprising for Mike Vrabel, don't you think? I mean, a successful coach, especially the early tenure with Tennessee, fell off the last couple of years. I thought for sure he would be a guy that would be snapped up by somebody else. I thought so, too, because of his age and because, you know, there could be some of this with Bill Belichick. We talked a lot about his coaching style, and he's won a lot of different ways. He's been very versatile schematically and adjusting over the years. But we know what the dynamic is inside that building is Bill is the authority. It is the 
you're going to do everything our way do your job style of thinking and we know today's athlete today's coaches so many more of them it feels more collaborative it feels like these guys are truly trying to meet the players halfway on a lot of stuff and you do wonder if more and more organizations are valuing that for the player of today and are maybe a little leery one of in Atlanta, we talked about the GM factor of this and Bill Belichick's usual right. control over the roster, but maybe also part of it is understanding that maybe the player of today responds less to that, and we've certainly seen that reflected through the Patriot assistance, but now that we've got a chance for patient zero on the market, I wonder if there's some trepidation about that, as well as, I think, more so the roster management stuff. Yeah, I, I, so I'm a little surprised there. We never heard much about Pete Carroll, who's in the organization in Seattle, but the thought is he wanted to coach again, but we heard nothing about that. So I think we're waiting till after these championship games because, again, it seems Washington may be leaning toward Ben Johnson, and we know Dan Quinn has had a second interview in Seattle. So we'll see how those, uh, see how those set up as this eight-team coaching cycle is, uh, is coming to an end. Yeah, it's, it's all started to happen quickly here as we approach conference championship weekend in the NFL. More of these coaches finishing up their season and getting ready to make that next transition. But coming up, let's take a look ahead at the weekend that we have on deck. Two absolute bangers in the slot. Getting ready to decide who goes to the Super Bowl this year. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Welcome back to Gojo Angola. Dad, we got conference championship weekend here, and we've got the AFC championship game that we want to start with. We'll have Justice Hill, the running back from the Baltimore Ravens, joining us in about 10 minutes to talk about how they're getting ready for this weekend. But it, it, it's interesting looking at this matchup, which to me on paper, Dad, is the more exciting of the two games here. It's no disrespect to Detroit and San Francisco right. and a lot of the great storylines there, but you've got the greatest quarterback of this generation and one that's going to challenge for the greatest all time and the one who's going to win the MVP this year and Lamar Jackson squaring off this weekend, the Ravens hosting their first AFC championship game in this iteration of the franchise. And so 
going into this weekend, Dad, you and I both said we're picking Baltimore. Has any part of you wavered on that in the last few days as we've sat here and digested this game? No, no, not at all. And, and it's not just because of Lamar. And I'm glad you said the this iteration of the Baltimore yeah. team, the Ravens, are hosting their first because Baltimore actually hosted the first AFC championship game back in 1970 when they played against John Madden's Oakland Raiders. And Baltimore won, Unitas won, and they went on to win the, the Baltimore Super Bowl Colts. that year. Colts, Baltimore Colts. Yes. Yeah. I'm sorry, did I not say Colts? That's my fault. Uh, you think I would know that. They're 2-2 two and two on the AFC Championship games, and they're all on the road, and their two wins, they went on to win the Super Bowl as well. So, no, it, it hasn't changed for me. I just think overall this team is – is too good overall. I mean, you look at them defensively, 60 sacks, number one in the league, 16 and a half points a game given up, number one in the league, 31 takeaways tied for number one, 16 different players with a sack, only to be outdone by Detroit, who had 18 different players with a sack. I, you know, while we'll talk about Lamar and the effect he'll have on the Kansas City defense, because that's a, a matchup I'm really looking forward to, to me, the reason that Baltimore is going to move on, kind of, or at least get to, to the Super Bowl here, much like even when Brady was in Tampa and they won the Super Bowl, that defense stood on their heads in the playoffs in Tampa Bay to help get that team to the Super Bowl before they won that. And that's what this Baltimore defense is doing right now. They are, they've been playing great all year. But that's the side of the ball to me because you've got to slow down Patrick Mahomes. Even though Mahomes' offense isn't what it was over the last two years, and it's been Kansas City's defense, it's the best defense Mahomes has had, which we'll get into. Uh, but I think this, this Baltimore defense is the reason they're going to the Super Bowl. Well, Dan, that's, I, I think the interesting part about this game is all the stats you mentioned, number one in sacks and number one in scoring defense. You know who's number two in both of those? The Kansas City Kansas Chiefs. City. Like, this is yep. uh, uh, not just – I mean, it's by far the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has had during this iteration of the dynasty, and they do seem to be coming together at the right times. Like, there's a lot of reason to believe between the weather, which it sounds like it could be rainy and windy this weekend in Baltimore for this game – and the fact that both of these teams are led by defense, you know, you look at the lines for this, you look at the lines for this game, the Ravens now, what, a four-point favorite in this game? Yep. And the over-under right around, what, 44 and a half? 44, yeah. Yep. It, it screams the under, and I, I don't think this Kansas City team is going to get blown out. Like, I'm picking the Ravens to win. But given all these circumstances, and Baltimore has done a lot of blowing out a quality opponent. They've got eight wins of 14 or more points against teams with winning records. That's tied for the most in NFL history with the 2014 Patriots. Like, they have been waxing the other good teams in this league. But I think what we saw in that last round, Dad, the, comp the lack of poise in big moments from the Houston Texans. We highlighted right. the penalty disparity, 11-3, to and a lot of those pre-snap penalties you saw. The offensive line staring down all the stuff that Mike McDonald's defense trying to throw at them seeing all this pressure coming their way and flinching in the big moment you're not going to get kansas city right. to flinch that's not going to happen with this team at any level because they're too well coached they've got too many guys that have been and lived here their sixth straight afc championship game appearance for mahomes and andy reed and for a large bulk of the core of this roster who was a part of that win last year so i do think this game is going to be tightly contested and probably a candidate for the under because of weather and because of the quality of defenses and coaching all around yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, I'm going to be interested in the Mike McDonald defense for Baltimore, how they go about it, because we know 
how they put guys up at the line. You, you know, Mahomes is really good against the blitz. And Mahomes, I think, has a 6-1 and one record against uh, defenses that are the top-scoring defenses in the league. So he knows how to beat these teams. And he can beat blitzes as well. But this defense, the way they put players on, on the line more than four, they'll have five, six guys on the line, and they won't necessarily blitz. You know, we've talked about this before, Mike. You as a former lineman, they'll have six up there, but only four are coming. You just don't know which four. So, in essence, they're not blitzing. They're rushing a standard four and, and dropping seven in whatever coverage it's going to be. But they just look for the confusion. Mike McDonald will pick his spots uh, on his blitzing on what he wants to do there. Uh, but when you have 60 sacks, you're getting a lot of those by one on guys beating winning one-on-one battles, but you're doing a lot of confusing of an offensive line as well. Yeah, and, and some of that confusion helps lead to those one-on-one battles. A lot of those blitzes are designed to, hey, we want to get one particular guy in a one-on-one situation. And, Dad, we know the offensive lines for this game, it's interesting circumstances on both sides. On the Kansas City Chiefs offensive line, Joe Tooney, their all-pro left guard, has sounded like during the week that he is on track to miss this game. He suffered a pectoral injury in the last game. Didn't end up being a tear, but for an offensive lineman, when you're trying to get your paws in and lock on somebody, it's fine when you're going straight ahead or when things are static, but it's when D-linemen trying to make moves, they're trying to get off you, and you're trying to hold the guy from going in a certain direction – all of a sudden you're putting a lot of strain on that peck. So I have very real fear about his ability to go and be effective, especially against this quality of defense. And so Nick Allegretti, your backup uh, offensive lineman who went at the end of that last game and is a quality veteran player for you, has started a bunch of games for Kansas City, has been in that organization since 2019, but isn't the all-pro that you had there, is one matchup that I'm worried about there. And then on the other side, What Baltimore has done this season, especially down the stretch on offense, is amazing considering they're platooning their offensive tackles. Like, we have seen them, like a high school team, rotate their offensive tackles between Ronnie Stanley and Patrick McCarry on the left side of the line and then Morgan Moses and Daniel Falele on the right side of the line. I've never seen anything like this, Dan. I don't know about you, where they're legitimately alternating series with these guys at certain points. I do think Ronnie Stanley looked healthier than he had in a long time. I think that first-round buy benefited him as much or more than anybody in that Ravens organization, and that looked like some of his best football this last weekend against some pretty good edge players from Houston. It, it, it is out of the norm. Usually you have your starting five, and if one guy gets hurt when he comes back, he's just inserted right back into the lineup, and here we go, because you really only have seven or eight O-linemen that are, that are active. So it is a bit surprising there. And, and that's the side of the ball uh, we'll see, uh, where I think the running game for Baltimore with that three-headed monster of, of Gus Edwards, of Justice Hill, who we're going to talk to, and of Lamar, and how that – because KC, while their defense – again, they're the number two scoring defense. They've been giving it up in the run a little bit, and that's where Baltimore can attack. Uh, and then once you attack there, the opens a play action, which, which brings up again, will Mark Andrews play in this game? He's missed a yeah. lot of weeks with that ankle, practiced last week but didn't play – and practiced all this week, so you wonder how close he is to going. Isaiah likely has been a wonderful fill-in, don't get me wrong either. But if you can add a Mark Andrews to the to the arsenal 
I mean, that, that, that's such a, a plus for you. So that'll be interesting. Defensively, we were quickly Marlon Humphrey missed last week's game with a calf. He's practiced this week for the uh, for uh, Baltimore, Baltimore in that secondary. We'll see if he plays as well. But to me, that that's kind of we talk about the passing uh, or the, the quarterbacks in the passing. I think the running attack for Baltimore uh, is is going to be the thing that can that can put them over the top. And as far as passing, Patrick Mahomes needs eight touchdown passes in the postseason to be number two overall, and then he'll only be tra uh, uh, trailing Tom Brady, who has 88 touchdown passes. Pat has 38 now. Once he gets to 46, he's in second all alone, and then he's just chasing Tom Brady. Yeah, when you look at all of the stats surrounding Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid at this point in the postseason, they're basically only trailing Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. With a win, Mahomes would become the youngest quarterback to ever win four conference championship games, trailing only Tom or, or passing Tom Brady. Brady was 30 and Mahomes was 28 in here. And Andy Reid now, this is his 11th conference championship appearance overall behind only Bill Belichick with 13. So this is the kind of quality coaching we've got going in this weekend on one side let's check into the quality playing on the other side with baltimore the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action on DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more don't miss out as the nba postseason winds down and now that the boston celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the miami heat boston fans we feel a little bit more confident about the situation you can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. to Gojo and Golik. The Ravens getting ready to face the Chiefs on Sunday and running back Justice Hill is looking to have a big game, okay? After the J.K. Dobbins and Keaton Mitchell injuries, Hill has quietly had quite a season, a career-high 593 total yards. He's led the Ravens running backs with 28 receptions on the year. He joined the guys to talk about his season and the tall task of taking on the Chiefs. All right, getting ready for championship weekend in the NFL. Get to talk to one of the guys that's going to try and go out there and make it happen. Baltimore Ravens running back Justice Hill, kind enough to join us now. And uh, Justice, what's it been like there this week with all of the buzz around Baltimore preparing for this championship game? Yeah, I mean, we're taking it like any other week, just preparing, preparing the same, uh, we're working the same, and we're just ready to go play, man. It's just like... Ah, man, it's just like... Uh, I can't even explain it, man. It's just we're ready to play, though. Well, take it. Take us behind that energy. You're cracking up and like smiling at the opportunity of this. What has you so jacked up? 
Uh, I mean, it's just the opportunity, man. I mean, you don't really get this opportunity often, and when you do, you just want to take full advantage of it, man. And uh, we we've been to playoffs multiple times, and we're finally to that that championship round, and we get to host it. It's is an unbelievable feeling, man. We work so hard for it, and we're just ready to go play. There, with each game you win in the playoffs, there's the added pressure and accolades. Really, I heard. Uh, or we, I should say, we heard Dan Campbell talking as Detroit gets ready to take on San Francisco. How you try and keep the focus to the players because now in a room of 20 reporters is now 60 reporters, and every all family and friends are calling the players to congratulate. Are you feeling any of that? Has there been any of that like extra on top of the norm because of the stature of where you guys are at? Oh yeah, you definitely get the the family members and people that you're close with just. Uh, excited for the game and they want to come out. Everybody wants to hit you up, tell you how good you are and all that stuff. But uh, we just approaching it the same, man. We're really approaching it the exact same as any other week. Uh, not letting the moment get too big for us and we're just going to go out there and play. And you guys have a veteran head coach in John Harbaugh who's been through this and been to the mountaintop before. What's he expressed to you guys during this run as you've gotten now further than you guys have been in recent history here in the postseason? Uh, yesterday, he had just told us to lock in, you know, uh, after after practice, we had a good practice, but he just told us to, to continuously just lock in, like continuously just get locked in, locked in, locked in on our details, our assignments, everything that we need to do. Uh, just so when we go out there, we're just able to play free and play fast. And uh, that's really been the message that he's been uh, portraying the whole year, just going 1-0 and each week. And this is the week we're going to go 1-0. and So, um, yeah, man, we're just going to keep things the same and then also just locking in on the details and go out there playing fast. How about for you personally, the climb you've had, fourth-round pick in, in 2019. This is the most carries you had during the year and the most receptions you had during the year. Actually, in the playoff game against Houston, you had the most carries by a couple over Lamar. How does it work inside in that running room and the, the running game plan of how the carries are going to be dispersed? Um. I mean, we really don't have any rhyme or reason. It's just uh, whenever coach calls our number, uh, we go out there and play. And if, if it's uh, my, my turn to get carries or my turn to get uh, receptions, you know, it's my turn. Uh, if Gus or Dalvin gets the, the call, then it's their turn. And there's no animosity or anything for anybody. We just all want to go win. And so whatever uh, coach dials up to help our team win, we're going to go out there and do What's been the biggest difference for you and for this offense under Todd Munkin this year now that he's come in as the offensive coordinator? Um, I mean, Todd, he, he's um, a creative guy. Uh, he, he understands the pass game, uh, understands the run game, um, and that's really the dynamic that he brought was uh, just create more concepts uh, for uh, the pass game than getting the uh, running backs more opportunities to catch the ball out the backfield. and. He's just being super creative, man. Um, I mean, we got some stuff dialed up, and it's going to be fun. It's been a fun year playing under him, just being able to uh, do things that you haven't always done here. And so, um, I mean, I love him. How about uh, the, the opponent you're going to play, Kansas City? Talk about been there and done that. Six straight AFC uh, championship game, though, on the road this year. They're usually sitting at home. What do you see when you look at this defense? I mean, they're a great team, you know, offense, defense, and special teams. I mean, they've done it for so long, and it's for a reason, you know. Um, they're definitely talented, got good coaching, and uh, we respect them. You know, we definitely respect them. And in order to be the Kings, in order to be the champion, you got to go beat the champions. So um, we definitely respect everything they, they have to offer, and their defense is really good. Um, they got some dogs up front and um, just playmakers all over the field. And so 
uh, we just gonna have to hone in on what we we do we do best and just go out there and do that. So it'd be good. You mentioned having playmakers all over the field. You guys certainly won yourself, and you've got another one along in that backfield with you and your quarterback Lamar Jackson likely on his way to another MVP this season for a guy you've been around a while now. Has there been anything different about him this season that you've noticed? Uh, I think he just matured more and um, he just locked in. I mean, all the individual accolades, they don't really mean anything to him. I mean, obviously he's our MVP, definitely the league MVP, but um, he's worried about the Super Bowl. He's not worried about any individual all pros or Pro, pro Bowls or anything like that at all. I mean, it's a straight Super Bowl. And, uh, no matter if we're winning games, losing games, like, it's Super Bowl, you know? And so we don't really get excited about anything. We're not complacent about anything. We're just going to go continue to work, continue to win until we get there. So that's been his mindset the entire year. What, what's things, he like as a leader for you guys? I just I see a lot of the emotion from him that bubbles up on the field all the time. And I'm curious what that's like behind closed doors and in practice with him. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's one of the guys, man. I mean, he's a jokester. You know, he just loves to play. And I feel like that brings everybody together. It just builds our chemistry to where it's not so serious. But when it is time to get serious, you know, we're going to get we gonna get serious and dial in. And so uh, he, he has a good balance of being relaxed, uh, having, having fun with it. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, it is a game. And we, we definitely want to have fun with it. And so, he, man, he's just been a great leader this year, him and Ro, uh, on the defensive side, just being able to – uh, just take step, take charge, and lead us. You know, I talked about your role a little earlier. You were the leading uh, running back uh, in receptions this year. Do you feel your role has moved a little bit toward that way of being that guy to catch the ball out of the backfield? Um, I mean, my role is whatever the coaches want me to do. <laughs> like, if they want me to run, <laughs> catch, uh, block, anything they want me to do, I'm going to do because I'm trying to win the games too. I'm trying to win the Super Bowl too. And um, whatever they need me to do, you know, I'm going to be there. You brought up Roquan Smith, and it feels like we've all seen from the outside ever since he came over last year, there's been a difference in that defense where now it's the best in the NFL, and he's certainly got a lot of credit for it. When did you notice that he was different? What about him when he got into the building made him such a perfect fit for this? I mean, from day one, uh, he just comes in first thing, he learned everybody's name, like whether it's uh, the firemen, uh, the, the cafeteria people, um, media people. He, he knows everybody by name, and he he says that, and that's a, a small thing, but is a is a great characteristic of a leader, you know. And from then on, man, I've just seen him take control of the entire defense. They always meet, always communicating. Uh, the communication is on the next level, and when you're on defense, that that's everything. The communication, and so. Um, I think that's really the biggest the biggest thing that has elevated the defense in our team is just the communication. What's been the biggest difference for you, as we said, going up and now in the AFC championship game outside the facility that you've had to, to deal with reaching this level of the playoffs? Uh, not much at all. I mean, I'm very low-key. I'm not on any social media. I mean, I have some pages, but I'm not on it at all during the season. Um, so I don't know what's going on out there. <laughs> Everything in my house, <laughs> I mean, my house is the same. So. so we joked with you before about the Christmas tree still being up behind you for anyone that's watching us on, uh, on you know, DraftKings Network or YouTube here. Ha has that been a conscious effort for you? Are you superstitious at all? Is the building superstitious about now that you guys have been rolling, not touching anything, including the Christmas tree? 
Hey, I guess so. We're going to keep it rolling, man. We're going to keep the, the Christmas trees up, keep everything around here the same, not changing anything at all, and <laughs> just continue to win, man. Do you have do you have superstitions that you do, whether it was in college at Oklahoma State or even younger through now that that you have to do before every game? Uh, nothing that I have to do, but I'm definitely praying for every game and uh, just give me peace of mind, keep my spirit right. And that's uh, really the only thing I got. Uh, well, uh, I know what we got coming up this weekend is an awesome game that you're going to be a part of. We're all looking forward to it. So we appreciate the time at the end of a game week here. Justice, thanks so much. And best of luck this weekend, man. We're all excited to watch. Appreciate that. Y'all have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. You too. Thank thanks, you. Justice. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, man. Pre- and Golix. The Lions have a big task ahead of them this weekend when they face one of the league's most explosive offenses in the 49ers. But in Dan Campbell's mind, he has one very specific strategy when it comes to this game. You got to stop the run because if you don't, they'll they'll rush for 250 on you and then they won't even worry about passing. Um, it, it, everything has to start there and yes, they are. That that's Look, Shanahan does an unbelievable job of uh, he's he's going to work one side and make you overreact, and then he counters off of it, and then he play passes off of it, and and works the middle of the field. You got your hands full in, in both regards, you know. And and uh, Purdy does a hell of a job. You know, they throw a lot of daggers middle of the field, and he does a hell of a job with touch, timing, rhythm. Uh, but we have to stop this run game. It, it just has to start there. Yeah, fellas, easier said than done. San Fran ranked third in the NFL in rushing yards per game. Yeah, and this is one of those things, it sounds super cliche until you remember that pretty much every playoff game we've seen this year has been defined by, hey, if some team can't baseline stop the run, if that can't just be a consistent part of your arsenal, the rest of it doesn't really matter because all of these coaches now are inclined, especially this final group, Dad, when you look at how all these teams are structured with so much value placed on the tight end room, having bigger personnel groups, being able to get multiple tight ends on the field at certain times and use that ground game We've sort of seen what we talked about in recent years, that trend in football where it all spread out. It was an 11 personnel spread it out past dink and dunk league. And then a lot of the smart teams looked up and said, well, if we get some really good, big skill bodies in here and get a dominant offensive line, we can take advantage of some small guys on defense and really make life tough for a lot of these guys. And so I think a lot of these teams on championship weekend are at the forefront of that. And so it really has become more relevant than ever to make sure that that at the baseline, you can stop that. The problem for Detroit is your pass defense also needs a fair amount of help and resources because when you look at the final grouping of teams left in this weekend, dad, in terms of EPA per play against the pass, the Baltimore Ravens, second in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs, third in the NFL, the 49ers, sixth in the NFL, the Detroit Lions, 25th in the league. So they are the clear odd man out when it comes to defending the pass going into this weekend. Yeah, they are, but but you just listen to what Dan Campbell said about the run. You know who's screaming out there is every running back saying, see, see, the running game's <laughs> yeah. important. Why don't you pay us a little more? Uh, because he's right. I mean, you know, Jesse mentioned San Francisco was third in rushing this regular season. Detroit was fifth, only three yards behind. So they're right there with their two-headed attack of Montgomery and Gibbs. And as a matter of fact, three of the top five rushing TD uh, players, including playoffs, 
are on these teams. Christian McCaffrey's number one and with uh, 16, and Montgomery's number three with four. I'm sorry, Christian McCaffrey's number two. Montgomery's number three, and Gibbs is tied for number five. So, yeah, these teams can run the ball. It's amazing in this day and age of the NFL, built around the quarterback in the past, that the run is still so prevalent, especially in the playoffs when it gets magnified. So just as much as uh, the uh, Detroit Lions have to stop San Francisco's run, San Francisco has to stop the Lions' run, and they have not been doing that very well. How Detroit has been struggling in pass defense, San Francisco has been struggling in run defense. Now, again, in doing the game last week, they just got Eric Armstead back, uh, so hopefully that will help some. But this is a defense that struggled against a run. This is a Detroit team that can run the ball. So as we talk about Lamar and Pat Mahomes and Purdy and Goff, you know, it is going to be these rushing attacks that are going to be pretty damn important. Yep, and it's interesting to think about part of the 49ers and looking back at last week even as the most recent example this getting run on by Green Bay so much was they were able to get to the edges and get up to the linebackers really well because San Francisco was pretty static up front. We talk about that so much in terms of modern offenses and movement before the snap and all these different things that people do. But, Dad, I think of a team like the Baltimore Ravens who throws so much at you defensively makes it difficult if you're an offensive line to try and figure out all right, well, if I have to combo up to the second level, where is that linebacker going to be? Because they can move so many places pre and post snap. They're aligned so many different ways up front that can get in your head about the angles that you need to do that. With the 49ers, a lot of it is, hey, they're going to line up in four base down D linemen, two or three linebackers at a given time, and sort of be where they're at. And it makes your life a lot easier getting to that point now you still got to block some of the best players on earth that linebacker room for the 49ers is incredible but if they're going to be static this Detroit Lions offense has more is going to gladly accept that with the quality of personnel that they've got up front so I, I do think that's a factor in all this because you're right the way Jameer Gibbs has played the way Sam Laporta has played you are built to be able to attack them and then have that complimentary play action pass of your own off that where they've been deadly he talked about Brock Purdy over the middle of the field Jared Goff's been a cheat code on play yeah. action thrown over the middle yeah he has this is this is setting up to be uh, a heck of a game and you know we talk about pressure on both sides and you know Detroit has struggled there as well you have Aiden Hutchinson and not much else they're they're down below the half a middle of the uh, halfway point of uh, sacks I think they have 41 where uh, Kansas City was second to ball I'm sorry um, uh, that's Detroit as far as San Francisco San Francisco is sitting at 48 for the year so they were well in the top 10 not near the top like Baltimore and Kansas City it's interesting with Purdy this is the first matchup of a number one pick versus a Mr. Irrelevant in Goff and Brock Purdy yet Brock Purdy is four and one against number one picks He's, uh, he's beaten Matt Stafford, he's beaten Trevor Lawrence, he's beaten Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. The only loss has been to Joe Burrow. So he's had some success, and certainly it helps with the talent he has. But this is, again, you know, and Richard Sherman yesterday on air talked with us about everybody loves an underdog, except nobody seems to love Brock Purdy, and nobody seems to want to give him any credit. Now, again, in calling the game last week, it was one of his worst games. 
He's, you know, a 69% uh, completion. It was 59% against Green Bay. It was as tied for his worst rating in a game, tied with Seattle in Week 12 in that game, where his rating was 86-something, and he led the league at 113. So it was an off week for him. Richard Sermon talked about the rain and the slickness and how San Francisco struggles in the rain, and still the the, the forecast now calls for it to be dry and, and I believe, sunny. So they're, they're getting they're they're getting what they want in that case. Uh, but, you know, Brock Purdy is going to have to play better in this one without question. Yeah, I think the stuff with Brock Purdy, I don't want to get derailed by this too much because we've already wasted too much oxygen on this overall as a society. Like, I don't think people are slanderous of Brock Purdy. I think we're reaching equilibrium now where it's an awesome story. He's the first player in the modern draft era where it went to seven rounds to be a seventh rounder to throw a pass and win a conference cha- or be in a conference championship game. He's done and accomplished so much that's exceeded his physical ability and his draft status. And it's awesome. All most people are saying is he's not Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, and Lamar Jackson. Jackson, which hardly anybody right. is and is unfair to expect a second year player anyway. So I think we're getting warmer in terms of how to talk about this in a way that's responsible. Dad, that being said, as far as how the game's going to go, I've been amazed that the line's been a touchdown basically this entire week for this game because of what we just talked about. I think the Lions have a chance to control things on the ground, but I do think ultimately San Francisco wins this game because I think their ends are going to be able to get timely pressure. And when you get pressure on Jared Goff, you can severely limit how effective he's been there. And then on the other side, I think they're going to be able to put up points. If Debo Samuel's out, they're going to have a better plan. Losing a guy in the middle of a game and having to adjust is a lot different than losing a guy and knowing, hey, we've got a full week to prepare a game plan. Kyle Shanahan is going to have Brock Purdy ready. And the best thing that I could say for Brock Purdy is in addition to playing better when he's dry, he's also a guy that's been able to take in a lot of the information surrounding Kyle Shanahan system and execute the hell out of the game plans that they put into place. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, such a big question is Debo. He's practiced, and I guess it gave a pretty big lift to the rest of the team when he practiced with the with the shoulder. If not, you know, it's Jawan Jennings you count on again. Ray Ray McLeod, Chris Conley, who all got into the into the box score in the last game when Debo was out early in that game. So. I, I, I'm with you. I think Detroit can control the ball. What you're going to see in this game, though, Mike, is a lot of motion. <laughs> I mean, yeah. these teams, the, the pre-snap step count uh, for both these teams is going to be amazing. And it's all, you know, window dressing, try to confuse that whole deal uh, to get to the play. But uh, I'm surprised they've been a seven-point underdog, has Detroit. I just think the expectation is they're new to this. San Francisco is not. But I think, I think Detroit's going to put up a pretty good battle here. You're new to this, but you're here with a man in Dan Campbell who does not give a damn and is going to continue punching people in the face and kneecaps until they submit. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.